waiting. Who likes it? Waiting for our turn, waiting in line, waiting in traffic, waiting for food, waiting for a response, waiting for a package to be delivered, waiting for the next season of our show to be released, waiting for the paint to dry. It feels like waiting takes up a huge part of our life. Waiting, waiting, and more waiting. We're impressed with people and things that are faster How often have you seen someone receive notoriety for being slower at something? People rarely receive trophies for being the slowest at something. Our whole culture is in a general state of hurry up, trying to cram more things into the same amount of time. One of the things uh, that drives uh, technology and research and advancement has been to shorten and even eliminate wait time. We are constantly trying to make things faster. Faster cars, faster food, faster computers, faster internet access speeds. The elimination of waiting and the shortening of wait times has been wonderful in many areas of our lives. 200 years ago, for example, it could take a year to travel from the East Coast to the West Coast of the United States riding in a wagon. Today, it takes a few hours Riding on a commercial airline. Imagine a conversation like this. I need to do some business on the East Coast. And the response would be, okay, I'll see you sometime next year. Nowadays, the response is, okay, I'll see you in a couple of days. A little less than 40 years ago, if you wanted to go online, you would use a modem that utilized your telephone line, allowing you to transfer data at the blistering speed of 25. 400 bits per second. The typical household now has an internet connection over 20,000 times faster than that. Something that would have taken an hour to download, something that would have taken an hour to download back then takes a tenth of a second to download now. To put it into perspective, back then the typical MP3 song file would have taken five hours to download. Machines and technology have shortened the waiting time in our lives in all kinds of ways that we largely take for granted. Microwave ovens, mobile phones, computers, automobiles, power tools, curling irons, central heating and air, indoor plumbing, just to name a few. There's one area of life, though, where waiting is a virtue. It's something to be embraced as a way of life, waiting for the Lord. Waiting for the Lord. What does it mean to wait for the Lord? Waiting for the Lord is a patient, confident, courageous, trusting in the Lord, both in His acting and in His timing. Proverbs. Psalm 27, verse 13, it says this, I remain confident of this, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. The psalmist, in this case it was David, although he was facing tremendous difficulty, struggling against great adversaries, he remains confident, convinced, continues to cling to the belief that he will see the goodness of the Lord. 
He will wait for the Lord. He tells himself to be strong and to take heart and continue to wait for the Lord to act according to the Lord's good purpose. Waiting can be one of the most difficult things we are ever asked to do as God's children. But waiting is something we can't get around. Some of us are required to wait more than others, but we all have to wait. It's the nature of the life of faith. Living by faith is living a waiting for the Lord life. And it's this kind of life that the ancients were commended for. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. We could say that in a little different way. We could say, now waiting for the Lord is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. <clears throat> the 11th chapter of Hebrews, it then goes on to list and describe some of these ancients, men and women who lived by faith, who waited for the Lord to fulfill His promises. People like Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Samuel, and David. Hebrews eleven thirteen 13, it says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They were still waiting for the Lord when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were lo longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. These people lived their lives waiting for the Lord, looking forward to His promises, patiently, confidently, courageously, trusting in the Lord. As followers of Jesus, we're waiting for the Lord in all kinds of ways. We're waiting for His return. We're waiting for the ever-increasing establishment of His kingdom in our personal life. We're waiting for the establishment of His kingdom in the lives of others. We're waiting for the Lord's deliverance and healing and help and blessing in countless areas of our personal life. We're all waiting for an end to the pandemic. Maybe you're waiting for a physical healing. Maybe you're waiting for a healing in a relationship with another person. Maybe you're waiting for a job or a spouse, an opportunity of some kind. You're waiting for a direction in your life. We are waiting for the Lord to do what only He can do. Now something waiting for the Lord does not include is worry and anger. Psalm 37 Verse 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. It says, Do not fret or worry or be agitated or become angry. The word means all of that. Instead, be still, quiet, calm, trusting, before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. 
See, and then the psalmist, he gives an example situation for applying his godly counsel to wait for the Lord. When people carry out wicked schemes and succeed in their ways, do not fret, do not become angry. This leads only to evil, he says. Instead, wait for the Lord, trust in Him, be still before Him. This same counsel applies for troubles and difficulties and adversity of all kinds in our lives. Rather than to fret and become angry and agitated, wait for the Lord. Patiently wait for Him. Well, Psalm 27 is where we're at today in our study. And if you are uh, following along in your Bible, flip over to Psalm 27. Psalm 27 illustrates waiting for the Lord. It's a psalm of confident trust in the Lord in the face of difficulty. Now, as noted a moment ago, David is credited as the author of this psalm. And like most of the psalms, most of the psalms in the book of Psalms were not given specifics about the circumstances that inspired the writing of this psalm. We know that he is facing tremendous difficulty. We know that he is struggling against great adversaries of some kind. What those were, we're not told. This is a situation that can be applied to virtually all of our lives in some way. Facing difficulty and struggling against adversity and, advers and adversaries, whether that be people, disease, circumstances, whatever. These are things that we are all dealing with in our life. Well, let's look at how David waits for the Lord. Beginning in verse 1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This opening verse of the psalm is this proclamation of David's confident trust in the Lord. David's confidence is not in himself, in his own abilities, in his skills, his weapons, his army, his opportunities. His confidence is in the Lord. This doesn't mean David was an incompetent mess of a person who couldn't find his way out of a wet paper sack. In fact, he was actually a very highly skilled and talented person in many ways. He was a charismatic leader. He was a skilled warrior. He was a great battle tactician. He was a gifted poet and songwriter. He was an, an accomplished mus musician. None of those things, though, singly or together, compared to what God could do in his life. In fact, David's talents and opportunities were never brought to their full potential until they were offered to the Lord in service to him. David knew his own limitations, and he also knew the limitless abilities of the Lord. You remember the story of David and Goliath? You remember David, a young shepherd, inexperienced, untested, under-equipped as a warrior, faced off against the gigantic grand champion warrior of the Philistines, Goliath, who was fully equipped and clad in the best armor and weapons of the day, David should have been easily slaughtered by Goliath, but that's not how it turned out. As the two contestants drew closer to each other, Goliath, he looked down at David and he mocked him. and He said, am I a dog? You come at me with sticks? But David said in reply, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. 
And then a single stone from David's simple shepherd's sling struck Goliath in the head, and the fight was over. Was David victorious in that battle because he was such a skilled slinger of stones? No. It was the empowerment of the Lord. David waited for the Lord to bring the victory. He trusted in the Lord. His confidence was in the Lord, and the Lord was faithful. Psalm 27, verse 1, it says, The Lord is my light. Light is a symbol of holiness and goodness, of purity, life and power, joy and revelation and understanding. Light and darkness are opposed to each other in the Bible. They are opposites. One represents good, the other represents evil. Darkness broods and saps the strength out of everything it envelops. Light, in contrast, it chases the darkness away and it imparts life and energy. Light shows the way to freedom and safety and escape from trouble. Light guides us. 1 Timothy 6.16 says, God lives in unapproachable light. 1 John 1.5 says, God is light. In Him there is no darkness. The Lord is my light. He guides me and gives me understanding. He drives away the darkness. He leads me to safety. He says, the Lord is my salvation. Or the Lord is my deliverer, my rescuer, the one who saves me. In our day, we, we might say, the Lord is my superhero. David, he wasn't familiar with that term in his day. But if he were writing today, he might have used the word superhero. The Lord is the one who can do for David and for us what no one else can do for him or for us. The Lord is the stronghold of my life, he says. A stronghold is a fortified place, a, a fortress, a, a refuge, a defensive bulwark, a place of protection, a place of security, a place of safety. In Hebrews 6.19, it says, Our hope in Christ is described as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. As a Christian, our life is tethered to Christ, and the amazing work He's done for us in His life, His death, and His resurrection, there is no Thing that can tear us from the Lord, and there is no thing that matters more than our connection to Him. David asks twice, Whom shall I fear? And then, Whom shall I be afraid? These are rhetorical questions with an obvious answer that there is nothing for him to fear because the Lord is His light, His salvation, and His stronghold. We talked last time about God's all-knowingness, His omniscience, His everywhere-presentness, His omnipresence, and His all-powerfulness, His omnipotence. This is the God we are waiting for, the God we have our faith in. This is the God who can make good on His promises. He is all-knowing. He is everywhere-present. He is all-powerful. In verse 3, I mean, in verse 2 it says, When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Even when his enemies are actively and aggressively coming against him to devour and destroy him, he says he will not fear. Even if outright war 
full scale breaks out against him, he will be confident in the Lord. There's no thing in existence that can defeat the one who he's trusting in, the one he is waiting for. Psalm 33, 16, it says, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. And the horse was the ultimate vehicle to have in a battle in those days. And he says, hey, even if you had the ultimate war vehicle, all the weapons, all the power at your disposal that human beings can muster, it doesn't matter. It cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love, to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. It says, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in You. Verse 4, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. <clears throat> this is another aspect of waiting for the Lord. We wait for the Lord through our longing to be with Him. One thing I ask, he says, this only do I seek. Look at the single-mindedness of David's desire, this one thing I desire above all else, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. <clears throat> David loved God and was caught up with a longing to be with Him. Why? Did, did David have a death wish? He wanted to die and go and be with God? No. Of course not. He understood that, <clears throat> excuse me, he understood that everything he ever wanted or dreamed of could be found in the Lord. Psalm 37, 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. <clears throat> Psalm 145, 19, He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. Do these scriptures mean that the Lord will grant all your wishes like the mythical genie in the magic lamp? No. It means that the relationship we can have with the Lord is so deep and rich that He can fulfill us in such a complete way that all of our desires will be swallowed up and satisfied. Having this kind of single-minded desire for the Lord, it puts us in a frame of mind where the Lord is. Our light, our salvation, our stronghold, and all fears and lesser concerns evaporate. Whom shall I fear? We're in a waiting for the Lord state of mind. <clears throat> Verse 5 and 6 actually describe this waiting for the Lord state of mind. He says, For in the day of trouble He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my, 
my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. In the midst of the trouble, the Lord keeps me safe. He hides me. He sets me high upon a firm place. He lifts my head up. He fills my mouth with shouts of praise and joyful singing and making of music. Then in verse 7 through 12, we have a very, uh, this beautiful impassioned prayer by David asking the Lord to help him. He says, hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. Prayer is an important and integral part of waiting for the Lord. In our waiting for the Lord, we cry out to Him for help. We entrust ourselves to Him, believing that He will save us. In verse 8, David's heart tells him to seek the Lord's face. And that's what he does. He seeks the Lord, crying out to Him in prayer. And that's what we're to do, to seek the Lord's face, cry out to Him in prayer. This is something that we do as we are waiting for the Lord. David, he then creates this back-and-forth dialogue in the poem in verses 9 and 10 to make the point that the Lord will never forsake him. He says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. David's father and mother would not forsake him. They loved him. They stood by him through the most difficult of times. And that's the point that he's making in saying that. If his mother and father would not forsake him, how much more unlikely would the Lord forsake him? The Lord can be trusted and counted on more than the most sacred and strong human relationships that we have. He will never forsake us. Jesus, he used a similar comparison in his, in his teaching in Matthew 7, where he said this, he says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Hebrews 13, 5. God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And then in verses 11 and 12, David ends this prayer asking the Lord to teach him and to lead him in the Lord's way, waiting for the Lord. It, holds fast to the straight path of the Lord, pursuing righteousness in our life. And then finally, verses 13 and 14, it brings us back to where we started our study of this psalm today. It says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord.
Although David is facing tremendous difficulty, struggling against great adversaries, he remains confident, he remains convinced, he continues to cling to the belief that he will see the goodness of the Lord in his life. He will wait for the Lord. He tells himself to be strong and to take heart and continue to wait for the Lord to act according to his good purpose. You know, on the surface, it may appear that waiting for the Lord is a passive thing. We do nothing. We just wait for something to happen. But as we've seen in this psalm and we've observed in David's life and the lives of others, waiting for the Lord is anything but that. We need to be strong and take heart in our waiting for the Lord. Waiting for the Lord is a patient, confident, courageous, trusting in the Lord, both in His acting and in His timing. Waiting for the Lord calls for a single-minded desire for the Lord above all things. You are the thing I seek above all else, Lord. Waiting for the Lord seeks the Lord in prayer, calling out, to him for help. Waiting for the Lord holds fast to the Lord's way, living according to his word. Psalm 130, verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. He says, my whole being waits. There's effort required in waiting for the Lord. It involves our whole person. In His Word I put my hope. Hope anchored in the Lord and His promises. He says, I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. It requires vigilance and determination. It requires grit and resolve to wait for the Lord. Psalm 27, 14, he said, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. In closing, Lamentations 3.22 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. Remember the Lord's great love for you. Make the Lord your portion, your lot in this life above all else. And wait for the Lord. Trust in Him. This is a promise for us. Psalm 40, verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. This is a promise for you. The Lord will save you. He will rescue you. He will give you a firm place to stand. He will put a new song in your mouth and others will be encouraged by your courageous, confident waiting for the Lord in His faithfulness to you. Wait for the Lord. He's faithful. He will do it. 
Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and your promise. Lord, we wait for you more than watchmen wait for the morning. We ask that you would give us the strength, the courage, the resolve, the grit. That we would be strong and we would take heart and wait for the Lord. Whatever that is that's going on in our life, and we all have different things, Lord. Some are suffering tremendous pain right now, Lord. I ask that you would encourage them to wait for you and to know that you're faithful, that you can be counted on. Fill our hearts with courageous confidence in you above all things. In Jesus' name, amen.